What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. My name is Cody. And I'm Lance. And we're here to talk about tabletop role-playing games and drink adult beverages. Isn't that right, Lance? I mean, the name seems to imply that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not a podcast about speaking easily. No, no. <laughs> uh, although, when it comes to tabletop games, we do speak easily. Yes, yes, we do. Because we can never shut the heck up about them, it seems. <laughs> Which, in between bouts of Monster Hunter and Total War and other things, just uh, tabletop games. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, today we're going to talk about uh, the gear, which is something that we have not discussed before. That'll be the main topic. We're going to talk about magic items, and then, of course, in sci-fi settings, what equates to a magic item, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, but before, before that, let's start with uh, the news... Oh, actually, I should state uh, one thing first. Today's bartender is Christopher, and uh, there's going to be a reason for that. Uh, so why don't those of you who can drink adult beverages go up and get yourself one, and those of you who are below drinking age, you know, get a virgin uh, daiquiri or something. I don't know. I feel like this place has a lot of turnover. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like a new bartender every, couple, every time. Well, no, it's, it's not so much turnover, but the owner, it's it's just so popular that they have a rotating array of, oh. you know, celebrity, celebrity bartenders. That's fair. Right, and so this week is Christopher, and uh, that has to do with one of the uh, new pieces of news. But, you know, go up, get yourself a drink, sit down here next to us by the ever-burning hearth, get cozy and saddle in for the next 45-ish minutes, where we talk about tabletop-related uh, things, and sometimes things that are very loosely connected by a thin thread, but that's all it takes. There's there's nerd stuff here. Regardless, it's, yeah. it's, it's always going to be some nerd stuff. So to start, a D&D movie trailer has dropped, Honor Among Thieves, and I want to hear your thoughts first. Okay, um... Just, just to be clear, Lance and I only have experience with Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, which is currently a monster dominating the market share right yep, now. Yep. Um, my thoughts on the trailer was it looks really good. I'm hoping the fact that they used modern music for the trailer is not indicative of what they're going to do in the actual movie. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, for the trailer, that's fine, but I don't want this to turn out like... Um, like Guardians of the Galaxy, except D&D. Well, here's the thing. I want the humor. Don't get me wrong. I want the humor, but the modern music, to me, is kind of a put-off. Um, that's actually what I think it would... Like, that's the entire tone of the trailer, is mm -hmm. exactly what it is. Yeah. It looks like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie with a D&D fantasy veneer over it, which I'm totally fine with. Dep you know, that doesn't mean you need to do... Um, a soundtrack like they've done it. Although, if they did, it would be appropriate to do, like, some 80s metal here and there, because you think about, back in the 80s, the type of people that play D&D well, no, listen to metal a lot of the if time. If they put, like, a bardic spin with a lute on it, maybe, right. I yeah. could, okay, you know what, actually, I'm warming up to the idea the more right. that I'm bouncing around like inside they, my skull. The, the Belter Creole version of Highway Star from The Expanse. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, like, they, like They took it and made it in-universe. If, if they can turn it into a, like, those songs with the fantasy spin on it, so that it doesn't like beat the piss out of immersion. Yeah. Then I think I think they might have something there. But I mean, the trailer itself looked great. I don't recognize all the actors, but uh, Chris Pine is playing the yeah. bard. Um, 
which there, there's your wink wink uh and <laughs> M- michelle rodriguez is playing a barbarian which i'm actually that's the character i'm most stoked for aside from hugh grant as the villain uh because a it's a big fantasy movie i think it'll the story of this movie will live and die on the quality of the villain and the writing behind uh, uh, yeah him. oh yeah, yeah for sure uh, I liked how in the trailer, my uh, my buddy Neil was like, why is that black dragon uh, spitting black oil? And I got to push up my nerd glasses and be like, well, actually, in D&D, in D&D, black dragons spit acid. Yeah, and, no, yeah that, that's, so I, that's I, I got to do that. Because uh, he, he's never played, a, he's only a Critical Role fan, tentatively. Now, on my but, short list of women to play barbarians, Michelle Rodriguez is pretty high on there. Oh, she's, yeah. she's a badass. She, I mean, she comes off as a badass. I can see her punching people and, and making that an effective thing. I really liked the feats of strength that you can see her do briefly in, in the trailer. But what's also important is you see this movie poster right here? Yes. This is a movie poster for the uh, D&D Honor Among Thieves that was previewed at San Diego Comic-Con. Do you see this piece of intellect devourer art I right there? The do. brain, yeah, a little, the brain, little, with, little the brain with the feet. Now compare it to Pathfinder's... Uh, art for the intellect devourer. Oh, so you're, you're saying somebody might have stolen some Pathfinder art? Yeah, or... it seems like someone at Paramount uh, did not do enough research and used art from the wrong game. I mean, in the D and D, which is it's not it's not like a big deal. I mean, really, pa- Paizo should get paid for it, mm-hmm. you know, or whoever owns that art should get paid for it. It just goes to show how ubiquitous D and D Fifth Edition is with role playing. That someone was like, "Oh, I'm gonna just Google D and D art," and they found the first uh, brain-looking thing on four legs and used that for their poster without investigating any further. I mean, it, it leads me to believe that there's probably. I mean, that this this wouldn't be unusual or uncommon, but there's probably a lot of people involved in the making of this D and D movie that don't know anything about role playing. Oh yeah, <laughs> because anybody that was familiar with that would have saw down at the bottom of that Google search. Pathfinder 2, or Pathfinder, or Pathfinder 2E, or whatever, you know, um, Intellect Devourer, and be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't use this one. Supposedly, speaking of people making the movie, uh, I saw just a random tweet or something. I forgot the actress's name. I'm so terribly sorry to that actress, but, because it looks like she's doing a great job. Um, this person is a fan of Critical Role, the person who's playing the druid. Okay. So, uh, the, the, how cool would that be? Imagine being like a <laughs> D&D nerd and then you get to play in you the get, D&D movie. You get movie. cast, yeah. yeah, in the D&D movie. Yeah. Um, I'd, I, be, I'd be, because isn't, uh, wasn't Joe Manganiello like part of this somehow at some point? Like, I don't think he was like, acting. I think he was trying to get the movie made. Uh, could be. I remember a couple years ago, I remember hearing that. I don't know. But if, if there was any actor that would be a part of this project, I assume it's him because he he's like guest starred in the finale of Critical Role yeah, season one. He's a, he's a big D&D guy. Uh, you know, you see stories about the uh, D&D game that he hosts for celebrities in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, um, celebrities come to his house and he dungeon masters. I did hear some grumbling online about the tiefling not having red skin. Tieflings don't need red skin. I understand that, and you understand that. I want to know why people are grumbling about yeah, it. Yeah, tieflings, tieflings do not need to have red skin. The tiefling, you could have a tiefling, uh, you know, the mark of a tiefling could be something as... Hooves, horns, yeah, teeth, claws, maybe they've got hooves tails. Under, yeah, that could be. It could just be a simple tail stuffed into their pants. They might still have normal shades of skin. They could have any of the normal human shades of skin. Well, what I you want... might have a African American tiefling who just happens to have a tail and hooves. It's a, you know, doesn't need to have red skin to be a tiefling. I there's had... purple skin tieflings, I... blue skin tieflings, normal skin tieflings. I had kind of wondered human shades. If... 
If is the movie based off of a D and D book of some kind? I think it's an original story. Okay, well, I was um, gonna say because the only reason I could see that people would really make a big deal about that is if it were based off an existing IP, uh, and and the tiefling in that existing IP had had like bright red skin, and they were like, "Oh, what are we doing here?" But, um, I mean, who knows? People complain about a lot of things. If, and, if and, it is based off of an existing narrative, then I don't know it. Yeah, me neither. I think it just happens to be that almost all depictions of tieflings in the quote-unquote official art have uh, red, red skin. skin tones of some sort. But the descriptions tell Oh yeah, it you, specifically you know, says they have a range of skin tones. They have a range of skin tones. Uh, anyway, that's. Uh, I just think it's funny that the Intellect of Our Art guy used. <laughs> uh, next, Adventures in Rokugan, another 5th edition related thing. If um, I've talked before about it, Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that an episode or two ago. Yep. They have, bit. in order to uh, make more money, uh, they are... They are making a 5th edition version of their tabletop role-playing game, much like everyone else's. Uh, but that will... By the time that this episode airs, it will have come out uh, two days prior. The core rulebook for Adventures in Rokugan. So you can play in Rokugan using the 5th edition rule set. It's got its own core rulebook and it will have released uh, two days prior. Which is, I don't know if you know much about it. It just seems like a really cool setting to me. Um, but... Is that I, your, your Hong Kong Kung Fu kind of... Uh... Well, it's it seems to be... Uh, there's a lot of, uh, like... Less Hong Kong Kung Fu and more kind of like the greater... It'd be good for politics and because you, honor is a big part of the setting. Okay. Uh, your character's honor uh, is so important that in the original trading card game, um, cards would have uh, an honor stat. That, so you could you could win by accruing honor. Oh, okay. Certain clans could, rather than just, you know, defeating just the enemy's rather than beating the tar out of your opponents. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that will have released. Uh, by the time that this airs, which, you know, I'm sure we'll have a lot of news to talk about in a later episode, because this is going to air, like, right after Gen Con. Okay. So I'm sure that there will be some announcements to discuss in oh, the future. Yeah. So we, we might almost have to do a whole episode on just news. Yeah, yeah, we could. We could just talk about all the stuff that's come out, uh, things that we've learned. Gen Con episode. Gen Con episode. Well, that, that'd be especially neat uh, if uh, after a year in which we attend Gen Con, mm -hmm. which um, not this year, but maybe next year we can go. So huh. all, completely off topic, um, my kid just got back from MetroCon in Florida. What's it's, MetroCon? Uh, it's some kind of anime convention. His step-grandma didn't, or she took him. She didn't know what it was. She thought it was like a gaming <laughs> convention. There was going to be all kinds of arcade games. Oh, no. And then I'm she gonna, saw the cosplay and I'm was like, get, what fresh hell is this? This is, this is the thing. I'm going to bet that, that he was pretty thrilled about it. Because, I mean, like, he watches anime and stuff like that. Oh, like, yeah. I got him into Demon Slayer and stuff like that. So he gets there and he's... Oh, so he didn't know either. He No, nobody knew. Oh, I mean, they're I, just he, like, hey, let's go to this thing. Yeah, they, they, she took him out of Florida on a little vacation, him and his cousins, and... and she sent pictures and she's like, there's no games here. And in the background, there's like a dude cosplaying as Rengoku from... <laughs> I was oh, like, wait a minute, I know who that is. You're like, I recognize that yeah, character. So, that's anyway, awesome. I don't want to get too far into that. that that's that, pretty funny. Yeah, it was, it was good times. Oh, so that uh, aside from that, if you don't have any news, I think uh, that's it. We've got the the, f the funny piece of the stolen artwork, Adventures in Rokugan. Gen Con has just happened. At the, well, not not currently, but you understand what can, I'm talking can about. Can we make a joke about how the the D and D movie is about thieves and they stole artwork? Yeah, that was kind of the implication. <laughs> yeah, they honor well, the, and you know it's funny. If you've watched the trailer, you know that they stole the wrong thing and then have to save the world because of it. So, which is just kind of 
funny, right? Yeah. Like, they, they, who knows? They could play it off as they did it on purpose, right? They, they, uh, they, stole, part of, the, they stole the Pathfinder art It's all part of the PR campaign. <laughs> Speaking of Pathfinder, let's talk about what we did in RPGs this last week. I got superpowers. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get super... Well, you, you got and have are receiving and, and working on superpowers, but let's uh, dial it back to um, starting the island where you landed at. Uh, was yeah, we already talked about the crab monster. We talked about the crab um, monster. So, so what, we, we, what happened after the crab monster? What was the rest of that island like? Well, we kept going and we found a village where all these people were um, were infected with squid monsters on their heads. Kind of made me laugh. It reminded me of the Rick and Morty episode where they had the the tentacle parasites on their faces. Yeah, tentacle parasites are good. Also, I also think about the episode of Futurama where Hermes has the like yeah, brain the little, slug. those tiny little things on uh, there. Did you play World of Warcraft Cataclysm? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, so did you play the underwater uh, dungeons at all? Uh, I don't in, think I did. In, okay, in Vizier. they There was a dungeon, and basically the old ones, there were some brain slug creatures in there. One of the bosses of the dungeon had a brain, sl- uh, brain squid like okay. that. It was, it was um, a heavy... A heavy inspiration for it. But also, Bestiarium Miniatures had some minis that came out like that. And I saw those at one point and thought, oh, that's a good idea for a monster. Uh-huh. So I used it, and I intended to print some of those out, but I forgot who made those minis <laughs> until after that session. Yeah. And so it was after that session, I like clicked in my head, oh, it was Bestiarium, gosh darn it. Uh, and anyways, but, but anyway, continue on. What so, happened on the island and, and, with the and brain I mean, slugs? Th- this was a, I, I, I kind of expected this as a theme because my warlock is a great old one warlock, and the thing that we're we're going after is supposed to have some connection to my character. So the brain slug or the brain squids were not out of what we expected. We started climbing the mountain, and we found a, in the mountain a, a temple to helm that had effectively been corrupted by these creatures, twisted oh, yes. outside of time and space, kind of a kind of an extra dimensional version of this temple and we made our way through there there was uh there was a room where we had to fight some enemies um because there was a, there was like a big central door and then two rooms off to the sides and yep. each of those doors basically held the key to unlocking the central chamber so one of them we had a fight in i'm trying to remember what, what all we fought in there there was a couple of them well there was a the first room had the knight with the jelly and the ethereal horde ah yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that was right because uh we were using the the or the swarm rules for the, tr- the well specifically the troop rules. Yeah, they, they're they're very similar mm-hmm. to the swarm rules, but uh, troops have their own section in mm-hmm. one of the bestiaries. The point um, is, my AOE spells were good. Correct. Yes, <laughs> your AOE spells worked well, uh, and also I really like. Because there are currently no minion rules in mm-hmm. Pathfinder. That's something that is a little lacking. However, troops kind of fill that void. Okay. It's just that... Because, you know, it's it's you had Ulrich up there slashing through yep. a bunch of ghosts, right? Yep. So when he does enough uh, damage, you take away... A few you literally shrink the size of the troop, removing mm-hmm. some of the tokens from the board. And it kind of still helps fulfill that fantasy of wading through minions. Yeah. But... Uh, the only caveat is that they have to be like formed up. They have to be in, in a group Where, together. So I kind of still would like troop rules, or, or I should say uh, minion rules for Pathfinder, but 
you could also just hack the troop rules to say that they don't need to be formed you, up. You have a reasonable stand. Yeah, you have, yeah, essentially. I could just say, oh, they don't need to be in the same space. They mm -hmm. can be spread throughout the room, but still be considered a troop. And um, then the second room that we went to um, asked me and Ulrich specifically, or Aram and Ulrich specifically, for a sacrifice. Yes. Because both of us are here to get our superpowers. Or some, <laughs> some, for, some boon. We, we, we've been jokingly referring to it as we came to this mountain to get our superpowers. Ulrich sacrificed his strength, which is one of his core attributes. So his strength dropped by one point, which means he'll never be able to max it. Um, I told the thing to take whatever it wanted and it stole my eye. Yep, took, <laughs> took your left eye. Uh, yeah, and it basically, it asked us what we were willing to give up to protect this world. Which was also a theme of the dungeon, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of things were missing eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And... And I mean, I think it's kind of fitting because Aram has now been deemed the Watcher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got, well, he's technically got two eyes. He's got that one in the middle of his Yeah, he still has two eyes. Yeah. You know, his natural-born <laughs> right eye and then the thing in the center of his forehead. Yep. Um, but yeah, so so it plucked out my eyeball. No damage, it just, the socket is now empty. And um, after giving up our, our sacrifices, we opened the door to the central chamber. Um, where before, we... before you talk about the central chamber, while you were having your eye removed, didn't you have, like, a vision? Oh, yeah, yeah, we both yes. had visions. Um, you tell them the visions, because you're going to be better at narrating it than I was. What? Than Just, I, would I want to hear it from your point of your... What do you remember of it? Um, I rem remember a lot of little flashes here and there, but, like... The, yeah, the, the... so essentially your character uh, saw things that happened even before he was born. Mm. Because mm -hmm. your mother was made to bear you, and you were essentially the... So yeah. kind of the puppet messiah of a cult to yeah. an outer yeah. god and you know in order to bear a child someone has to get yeah. um, reveal details about how bad his mother had it in order to become the right the, and, and she was part of the cult because of her husband being the leader of the cult yeah. but really she just wanted a son she wanted to be a mother and then uh, but she was subjected birth. to drinking like gross unguents and mm -hmm. um, scarification and other things like that just to uh, what you know the cult thought they were appeasing an outer god. Mommy had a rough go at it. Yeah, Mommy <laughs> had a rough go at it and died in childbirth. Yeah, what was what was Dan's vision? I forgot. Uh, did he share it with you? Because I sent it to you guys. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did get it. We so you get might it not it. know what Oh, yeah, was. okay. Well, don't, don't tell me. I don't want you yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say, if he hasn't <laughs> shared it yet, then your character wouldn't know. That's true. That's right. Right? Yeah, don't so, But that, did. anyways, and I, supposedly I, anyone listening to this, you know, now they'll know Arams, but... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's, you know, everybody knows he's got a I trust my players to upbringing. not metagame, right, guys? <laughs> All right. Uh, but yes, now after that, you guys proceeded to the final room, which was unlocked. Yep, and we had to fight a, uh, a Shogoth, and... That was a Shogoth, right? It was. I, I juiced it up a little <clears> bit. I upped <throat> it to level. Yeah. Uh, just to make it more of a challenge, since you guys were level 17. So the, so, so throughout the whole temple, we had had this, this voice of this thing talking to us, which is what that Shogoth was, I believe. Yes. Normally, <laughs> Shogoths are uh, stupid, with yeah. like minus three intelligence, but this is a special this, boy. This thing had a, a direct connection to the, yeah. the, the Elder God that I was... Uh, to Yulshmara, the Great Devourer. Exactly. Um, so he really had it in for me for a while there. Um, so yeah, we had to fight him and a handful of his minions. Uh, I will say, to your credit, that is the coolest painted mini I've ever seen you do. Oh, thank you. The mini he used for this was incredible looking. Um, I think the design of the mini kind of carries the paint job, too, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I put, uh, as far as going to accomplish a... A very quick rushed paint job. I will say that I did pretty I, good. I think it looked cool as hell. Um, I did. <laughs> I airbrushed. Oh, I airbrushed a 
uh, a purple ink, uh, the FW uh, Purple Lake is what it's called. I airbrushed that over a zenithal highlight of the miniature. The miniature is the Greater Comet Lord Emissary by Comet Lord Miniatures, which can be found on my mini factory. Uh, he's he's a very good designer for creepy eldritch outer things. There's a, he's got a lot of good monsters like that that fit the bill. I was pleasantly surprised when I stumbled onto Comet Lord Miniatures' uh, section of his Patreon uh, or website or whatever. He has a website, I think he has a Patreon, and he has a My Mini Factory, but all of it is great work. And All right, so um, in keeping with the, you know, your guys' advancement of the story, surprise, surprise, you won. Uh, that said, I did roll a lot of high saves. Yeah, no, that was that was a miserable slog of a fight. It was very difficult to do anything. But you know, I, I think, and this is going to be my, my glory main character moment, but one of the spells that I have allows me to switch places with monster, or that, switch places with an enemy. That was so good. That was, this was mint. So one of the minions that this thing had had these like tentacle arms with blades on it that could cause a nasty bleed effect. Correct. And I was flat-footed because the tentacle monster, or the Shogoth had grabbed me. Me. Yeah, so you were grappled, you were grabbed, sorry, gra not grappled, grabbed, mm -hmm. uh, and stuck in place and flat-footed, and this thing's about to come at you with its blades. And it does, and I can't remember the name of the spell, but I have it, and what it allows me to do is select an enemy within 30 feet, they have to make a will save, and if they fail, I switch places with them via teleportation. Yeah, and then they suffer the attack. Ah, uh, yeah. Which, so the attack was a natural 20. Uh-huh. And then the Shogoths will save. Everything else up to that point, I had been... I rolled like four 19s. The Shogoth had just been crushing it. 19s and 20s on all of his saves yeah, for I, everything. Just... For long-time listeners, you'll remember that I I refuse to fudge dice in Pathfinder. So whether no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad for the players, the dice decide the outcome. Uh, and I rolled a natural one, right? I think I did. I think yeah, you did. I'm pretty it. sure I rolled a natural one on his save to resist the teleport. Mm -hmm. And so you and the Shogoth switched places, and his <laughs> minion critically sliced through his main body. Which, which is good, because I had very little hit points at the time, and I'm imagining that attack did a pretty huge chunk it of was his. A, it was a big chunk. It was like 80 damage. Yeah, yeah so, plus like the that. bleed effect. So. Plus the bleed effect, yeah. He which did, ended up not being necessary, because it was like killed one attack later. later. Yeah. yeah. One attack later, it went down. But that that made me happy. That was that was a very happy moment for me because I was like I was like this is a hail mary. It's not probably gonna work. This guy's been crushing his saves, but it's better than nothing. I have a reaction. I might as well use it. Yeah. Used it and boop. All of a sudden, I'm standing on the other side of the room where the Shogoth was, and he's there getting wrecked. I do want to do. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the entire party. Um, because as we play more Pathfinder, I have noticed that people are leaning stronger, at, well, they're leaning more into their strengths and playing more tactically. Mm -hmm. Um, like you used Bone Mott, actually. Yeah. You, you remembered to use Bone Mott to lower the enemy's will save ahead of time. Well, it didn't, it, it, on that particular turn, it did not in, end up mattering because he crushed his roll. Yeah. But still, the fact that you remembered to try. Well, uh, no, I, I, I succeeded against him on the Bon Mott. It was just. No, no, I'm saying that you succeeded on the Bon Mott, but then he's, he succeeded on his save anyway. Oh, yeah. On yeah. that turn. Yeah, but the Bon Mott, I mean, I guess he got a, he got a one on the, the roll to resist my teleportation anyway, right. so it didn't but matter. But still, the fact that you guys are remembering to do these things, like uh, Dan with his champion is remembering to use all of his, his interdictions and his, stuff yeah, like his that. His reactions. Saved my paladin. bacon a couple of times. Um, Moose is now really leaning into the healing his thing. His cleric is so good. Yeah, cleric, yeah. It's like, He's oh, wow, he can actually heal. monster. Oh, it's I my mean, turn just, here. Have 120 yeah, here, HP have, back. Have your, half your HP back. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Want me to buy it's you like, a drink later. <laughs> yeah, you're the cleric. You don't really need to worry about dealing damage. Just keep the damage dealers alive. Yeah, holy buckets, he's good. I mean, that's like that guy. I, I really... 
I hate I hate to be the the, the guy, but I'm kind of glad that Duraj ran his uh, artificer off. <laughs> oh, because that's true. Because because yeah, now you're benefiting. The net gain to the party as a whole with the cleric cleric coming in here has been absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. And so um, because of the Call of Cthulhu game, and we have to cancel the next Pathfinder game, we probably won't pay, play Pathfinder for like four weeks, which gives me a lot of time to prepare. So I'm excited for that. I am too, because now that we killed him and Aram has embraced his destiny, he is now wrapped in a cocoon awaiting yeah, he's, his uh, he's wrapped in a cocoon. transformation to his well, final yeah, form. Which, which, yeah, which uh, I heard you talking to the players. I didn't know if you were if you wanted to keep that a secret or not. I heard you mentioning to some of the other people what you're going to be mechanically. I thought it might be funny to uh, keep that a secret, but, uh, you know, they still won't know what you're capable yeah, of until you say. start slinging out your abilities. I am guarantee you I'm the only one that's read that chapter in that oh, book, yeah. so. But uh, anyway, after, let's, uh, that's all That's all we got for Pathfinder. Or, well, not just Pathfinder, but that's all I've done for Tabletop yeah. lately. So, moving on to what we're drinking today. So, what is this, Lance? Um, I don't remember what it's called, but our producer... Uh, our us. producer brought the Henny. Yeah, we got, we got a little Henny in here. It's yeah. uh, Hennessy. brought Hennessy, and so we're having... KCT. KCT. Oh, there you go. Thank okay. you, thank you, Tech Nine, for popularizing this beverage in the mid two thousands. Oh, uh, that's where it came from. Yeah, well, you, he popularized it. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I think he has a. I think he has a song just called T- uh, KCT. Or well, I, I know he's got one um, uh, called Caribou Lou, which is. Oh, nice. That one's uh, one fifty one Malibu rum and uh, pineapple juice. And I've if never, you've had, never that. had it. It is very, very strong, and it will make you extremely drunk very quickly. I am not a big fan of pineapple, so. Well, then you probably wouldn't like it. I've had some, and it it, it will get you. Get, it'll get you right. This, however, though, it's this tasty. is because this is this is a cognac uh, sprite and just like a squeezed lemon, right? Yep, that's it. Uh, and I am I have never had this before, and I'm all for it. I'm happy that we're having another cocktail in a place called a speakeasy. That's true. Instead of just porters and stouts, because <laughs> I'm all about the mixed drinks, and this is a this is a really good one. I could drink this on a hot day and really enjoy it. Oh yeah, it's very it's, refreshing. It's, you know, it's got it's, just it's, enough citrus in it to be good. We and... just had a heat wave mm-hmm. here. Uh, I mean, not as bad as, you know, Europe has had it, but uh, certain parts of Europe, I should say. But still, this is incredibly refreshing. You know, for some reason, people in Europe don't have air conditioners. Why would you need it? Uh, well, I mean... Uh, classically. <laughs> classically, why would you need them? Because, it, uh, you know, think about the UK, how often it rains and how far I north guess, it is. They, but... they, you don't need them. So and now now I mean, suddenly... You I know, don't know. Does the summers in the UK typically get over 80 degrees? Because I'm a spoiled American, and I, I don't want my house to be hotter than 80 degrees. <laughs> Ever. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So this is a delicious drink. Um, I, I'm going to recommend it to anyone to try it. Yeah, it definitely. is. There's only one shot in here, right? Yep. One shot it's, of Hennessy. It's, it's light, but you know we've got to record today, so we can't get too crazy. Yeah, I, I could I could go for this repeatedly. <laughs> can't. I'm, I feel like I've been missing out, honestly. Yeah, this is this is good. I might get the stuff to make this. Amazing. All right. As I recommend it, and on to the main topic. So uh, while we continue to sip our KCT. In the middle of summer, let's talk about magic items and gear. So, I want to uh, just question you. Uh, first, I'm going to say, in our entire RPG experience, what is your favorite 
piece of special gear. I'm going to keep using the word magic item, but I'm going to apply that to any setting. So, like, in Cyberpunk, it's just going to be, like, a prototype gun with a, you know, a special mm-hmm. laser or, um, you know, it just applies to any setting. It's a piece of gear that you couldn't buy out of the core rulebook, but it has to be awarded or crafted or something like that. Okay. Um, just any special piece of equipment that the PCs can get their hands on. The Holy Wheel Gun from Deadlands the Weird West. Oh, tell me about the Holy Wheel the Gun. The Holy Wheel Gun, um, there's there's not a lot of background lore that they give you as far as why it is what it is, but it has the, in, uh, engraved on the barrel, it is engraved the right hand of God. Okay. And it is a uh, it is a six-shooter revolver, single action. Um... I don't remember if it was a cult army or not, but the... Now, in Deadlands, your magic items tend to be kind of low-key compared to, say, a high fantasy setting. But what this thing does is it can damage any abomination, period, full stop. Doesn't matter if it has immunities. It doesn't matter if it has resistances. This punches through all of that. Um... I just like the, the thematic idea of a gunslinger wielding a weapon entitled the right hand of God that can just blow holes in abomination. It's very flavorful for it's a setting in which there's very, a lot of very, very flavorful. Uh, demon hunting. I think and I gave like Dan that. that gun once. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, th- I think that was the uh, the Scorpion arc, actually, the one oh. that we talked about in the other episode about him. Uh, he ended up with the right hand yeah, of God. That was a pretty pretty long campaign. His character was one of the few that, that made it to uh, Stone. To, to Five Grit. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, gun yes. didn't help him against Stone, but. Uh, one of, so my question to you next is, are, is the inclusion of magic items and special gear important to RPGs? Yes, depending on the setting. I'm going to say uh, almost blanket yes. Yeah, I mean, generally, generally speaking. For the sake of fun is my argument. Because mm-hmm. when you play a video game RPG, there's kind of an expectation to get loot, right? Yeah. You, you go out, you, you fight the baddies, and no matter what happens, at some point, even if it's like a low magic setting, you kind of expect to get some special some special knickknacks or weapons mm-hmm. or something. Um, so, let's go back to your discussion about setting. Give me some examples of when it is more or less important, depending on the setting. Um, I, I would say settings that have magic is 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 a is a good one but i mean i guess if you were going for a raw sci-fi setting and you wanted to replace the concept of magic items like in a sci-fi setting you could have pieces of cyberware that are like prototype oh, yeah. new off the rack That's that exactly give you powers that aren't about. listed in the book um so i mean in, in a way in a way i think yeah i'm to to kind of dial back a little bit you're right it works in every setting it works as in every long setting. as you can correctly flavor it to the setting yeah. that you're playing in you know if you were i'm like, just saying magic items because mm-hmm. of how popular uh, that's edition is, the right? kind of the general yeah. yeah but i mean like even if you were playing cyberpunk for example a setting that has absolutely no magic at all you could very easily fit in the inclusion of prototype cyberware that or that prototype guns, prototype or, cyberware, yeah. prototype weapons, and stuff like that, that would give you similar types of bonuses or similar changes to the game. Vocal cord would, parasites. Well, don't don't do that. <laughs> I, that's a that's a Metal Gear Solid Five reference. That's the reason I haven't played the game. It's so good. Anyway, I, I um, believe you. But so, what's your favorite piece of cyberware? Right off the top of your head, uh, yo, don't think too hard about it. Wired reflexes. Okay. If we're talking Shadowrun. I mean, yep. that's. That's the one that makes was, you go faster, that's right? The, yeah, that, that drastically increases your initiative. In the older versions of Shadowrun, 
what that really meant is if you had a level or two of that, your character was getting more actions per round than everybody else. I'm glad they kind of tried to balance that out in later editions, where at least everybody got a turn before you... Like, it used to be you'd front load all your turns. So, like, okay. if you were a street samurai, you might go three times before the rest of the party goes on a good initiative roll. Ugh. They they fixed that, where you still get a lot of extra turns, but they push them all to the back of the initiative order, so everybody gets to go before you get to do that. Um... In any custom setting I would do, it would just like it would be more prone to putting you at the top of the initiative order, but I don't think I would give you more turns than everybody else has because that's that's like old Shadowrun, the mage used to be cleanup detail. Oh yeah. Because mages unless you unless you had like a like a quicken spell for like the initiative spell, you basically would watch all of the, the cybernetic clowns or the uh, or the, the physical adepts go before you, and then once your turn came along, you would just cast an AOE spell and kill all the re- or finish off all the wounded enemies that were on the battlefield. So it was a little less fun playing casters back in those days. So I want to talk to you a second about speaking of casters and you know segueing from casters back to five E. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, as someone who has never uh, DM'd too much of five E. Were you aware? that they tried to design 5th edition to kind of break away from the necessity of magic items. That is to say, in Pathfinder, using it rules as written, uh, both 1st and 2nd edition or D&D 3.5, gear acquisition is part of the balance and progression. It's kind of assumed that you're going to get a plus one rune in Pathfinder 2 in order to keep pace with the the math, right? Mm -hmm. In 5th edition... They kind of told the DM in the Dungeon Master's Guide, hey, this is kind of optional. You don't need to include magic items. But then they include pages and pages and pages and pages of them. That um, it, it feels like Wizards of the Coast tried to divorce uh, the necessity of magic items to make it more special. But I think, in truth, what really happens is that people still just end up with a ton of magic items. Well, and I mean, especially in a high fantasy setting, that's what you want. Right. Like, as a player, you want the legendary sword that belonged to a king that's been dead for 500 years and has all kinds of cool runes and enchantments or whatever on it. And even in the low magic setting, you think about Aragorn. Aragorn wields a oh, yeah. pretty sweet uh, legendary sword, even if it doesn't have a whole lot of magical, you know, limited magical properties to Look it. Look at the Northman, that cool blade he got from that Draugr. Oh, yeah, that was such a that was such a cool idea, the blade that you can only draw at night. Yeah, like... That, and it can't be put back until you kill somebody with it or a something wild. Cursed yeah. weapon like that is so cool. Yeah, I mean that's like that's fun as a player. Like that's one of it's the got highlights. The drip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of those things where if you get these cool items as a player, it makes you feel awesome. Like you want that, especially in a high fantasy setting or any kind of fantasy setting, really. So how do you introduce magic items like that to your players? Um. If I'm building the magic item, I'm giving it a background. I want it to have a cool story. Even if the players never know what the story is, I think they should. But even if they don't, like, you want to have that. Well, in 5th edition, there's a whole spell devoted to that. There's a 5th, I believe it's 5th level, called they, Legend Lore. Yeah. So if there, is a, uh, if there is a legend surrounding something, It'll you can just cast that spell and find and out. Boop. Yeah, just like a magic detective button. Uh, so... Uh, anyway, you give it a background and, and a lore, mm-hmm. but I'm talking specifically how you put it in their hands. Um, you can go one of a couple of ways with that. Um, like, dungeon delving is always good, especially if it's a themed dungeon around a themed 
either really cool hero or really bad guy villain to like have a tomb or something yeah to like have that. have their their old junk in a tomb you know for 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 your your 20th level bad guy a fifth level party getting in there and getting his old stuff still feels pretty badass oh yeah you know i mean it may not be it may be something the big bad has outgrown as far as power but for your players if they're level 5 or level 7 or level 10 or whatever you know that's a fun piece of equipment to get Especially if it's got a story behind it, especially if it's associated with the the villain, you know that if you can get that kind of information out of it. Um, the others is always like defeated important foes. Um, so it's something that the boss was carrying. Yeah, or or if, if it's one of the boss's lieutenants, oh, you yeah. know what I mean. Something along those lines where you have this this weapon or this magical item that that the bad guys have been using against you and then when you finally vanquish that bad guy you take their stuff oh, i mean yeah. let's face it we all like to loot our the corpses of our enemies let's let's be real <laughs> we've been <laughs> trained uh you know, anyone that's played skyrim which, <laughs> any video which game I'm, ever I'm, well any video game ever but i'm using skyrim because it applies to a wider audience mm-hmm. you know it's ha- kind of like how a ton of people played Wii Sports, even though they might not have been gamers. Right? Yeah. A ton of people played Skyrim, even though they might not have been into fantasy RPGs, just because yep. it was so popular. Everybody so knew. Everyone, Skyrim. everyone knows it. So you're you're trained to do it. You you beat your enemies. First thing you do is <laughs> loot all. Walk up loot and all. hit. Yeah, loot all as much as you can carry, uh, and then only when you approach your weight <laughs> limit do you start to scrutinize. Yep. Uh, I think going back to your bit about having the lieutenants or the bosses using cool pieces of gear. I want to stress to new GMs that it is more impactful if your magic items have active abilities rather than just flat bonuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it feels cool. Like, oh, sure, you could say that um, your sword that you wield just makes you do plus two fire damage. As a special action, shoot a beam of fire right out of the blade, right? And just hit your bad guy from a distance instead of just having that flat bonus. Right. Oh so. yeah. I I would much rather have an active ability than a passive one. You know, like I use an action or like a certain number of times per day, I can set the sword on fire or have it shoot something or, or whatever. That's a lot more flavorful and fun than just like a base plus one to hit or plus one to damage or plus damage die. And luckily, most uh, books like the in the game master's guide or the whichever core rule book you're reading will tell you that uh, in most systems. That, sure, it's okay to include uh, flat bonuses here and there, especially if it is part of the assumed progression of the system that you're playing in. But a lot of books do say that it's more fun to be able to do something cool that your class or character usually can't. Well, it's just going to always be more thematic to be able to, like, out of nowhere, you know, make your weapon do something unique and interesting than just to, like, Donkey Kong swing that thing with an extra bonus to it. (laughs) You know? Uh, So... Are, when you're introducing magic items, how much do you worry about balance? Um, I mean, I think as a GM, it's something you have to be concerned about. But it, a lot of it also depends on the system. I mean, some systems, you can rebalance things by throwing in one or two extra enemies. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Some systems are a little more complicated, where if, if you do something a little too crazy with a magic item, then you almost have to treat your characters as a level higher. Um, so, I mean, it really depends on the system, but I'm more interested, I mean, we, we had this kind of discussion when we were talking about rules versus rule of cool. I'm more interested in the players having fun. Right. So, I, if, if it means that I accidentally made them a little bit overpowered and I have to spend the next couple of sessions kind of adjusting the difficulty, I'm okay with that. So, there's uh, another thing that comes up in games where 
uh, piece of gear starts off like kind of neat and then as time goes on and the characters level up the gear itself kind of grows with them and this is represented in multiple systems with different uh, names essentially but they're all kind of the same thing there is a homebrew document on drive through rpg called ancestral weapons for fifth edition that does something like that uh, older editions of DD, i think it was 3.5 had uh, legacy weapons i want to say that they're called i've heard that term i've yeah. never never used, um, but. you've got matt mercer's homebrew ones where the uh the exalted uh vestiges of divergence start dormant and then become uh, awakened and then they become exalted and they they've got like three stages mm-hmm. of coolness to them see i like that idea because you can give them to the players at a relatively low level without blowing out the balance and then you have it kind of level with them so that as they get more powerful, that that ability becomes more powerful. I think I think that's probably the best way to maintain some semblance of balance while doing it. It's also pretty thematic if you're going to be playing in a campaign where your players aren't uh, switching characters a lot, mm-hmm. because it's hard to develop a piece of special magic gear uh, and then have that character like, oh, I, I don't want to play this guy anymore. <laughs> it's like you planned all this out and you've invested all this lore and now it just kind of feels shallow so what you're saying is when moose finally gets his it'll just be like full turned all the way well, up to, I, to I mean i i don't know for characters introduced this late in a campaign i don't know that they get to play with those toys okay it's just a because it's 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 even a little late um for i mean he had the star heart when he had his well yeah the, the the character that he was playing at an earlier level had one uh, but I'm also talking about it's it's kind of late uh, for Ulrich. And the only reason Ulrich's getting one is because he was a character from the like really early on. Yeah. And he would have still been playing Ulrich if Ulrich hadn't have been, you know, captured. Hadn't sacrificed himself to save Aram. But it's it's something that it provides an incredible story opportunity and to help uh, build your world. Uh, whether you're playing in an existing setting or you are making your own homebrew world. Uh, having items that are existing in the setting and tied to maybe characters like you've got this special axe that was forged by a dwarven smith to be sent as a gift to an elven king to help forge the relations between these two nations Mm -hmm. and it was lost in the civil war between them after they (laughs) uh because at one point they had forged a single nation but then infighting broke out and you can have an entire history around this one axe if you want and then you put that in the hands of your players, but uh, its powers are dormant, you know? Yep. And then they get to do special dwarf elf-related things in order to grow the powers of this axe that I just made up. <laughs> um, how would you do that in a sci-fi setting? Oh, I, I should also say for our Pathfinder 2 players that there is a system in place in the Game Mastery Guide called uh, uh, Relic Items, which... Uh, do very similar things and they have various powers to list from and themes for the item which is something that i uh forgot to mention is that if you're gonna have a cool lore full item like that it should have a theme like fire and family or uh, ice and betrayal you know Mm -hmm. things like that to try and keep its story cohesive anyway back to my previous question if i were gonna plug something like that into a sci-fi setting i can think off the top of my head of two ways that i would evolve that okay the first, uh, back to the, the Metal Gear joke, nanomachines. <laughs> um, if, if you have a, a, a character who, who gets like a, an experimental high-grade like nanomachine 
set up, put in their system, you could have those nano machines evolve over time to give them new abilities. Oh my God, they're learning. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the second would be, and the subject of machine learning, would be an AI. Okay. Um, whether it was like an internal battle computer that you had drilled into your skull that had like a, like an AI, or even like not quite an AI that eventually evolves into an AI that is assisting your character um, through various different like tactical kind of combat things. Um, <clears throat> I like. Uh, I had a second, well, a third tertiary thought okay. about that. Um, if you're in a sci-fi setting, I might do it that your characters get their hands on some encrypted schematics and just at lower levels you can just tell them hey there's no way that you can encrypt the deeper sets of these files yeah. this is all you can access now mm -hmm. and then as, as time goes on maybe they can hack mm -hmm. further in their downtime to break these files to get access to the greater bits especially if the campaign is like a long-running conspiracy campaign that oh, maybe yeah. kind of centers around one major corporation Whereas, like, this thing that you stole from them initially, as you're going through, you find more files that right. are related to this that, that help to decrypt or to help you to understand what those files are and what they're capable of doing. If aliens are in the uh, setting, you could be reverse engineering alien technology, yep. mm -hmm. XCOM style. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of options in there for that kind of evolutionary equipment. What about urban fantasy like fantasy set in a modern age what's a what's a type of magic item that you would want to include like it's 2022 and there's a wizard investigating a murder in new york what kind of magic item could he have oh man i mean if you're talking about a setting that actually has magic yeah, like there's it, magic uh -huh. but it's you know the real world and mm -hmm. modern day it's like, what kind of mundane, like, I, I almost imagine, like, a magical smartphone that can do kind of neat things. <laughs> just to just to blend modern day See, with magic. I was thinking a cool fedora, but I don't know what the fedora A cool fedora. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a hat of disguise, but it's a fedora. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Milady. <laughs> I could see that being, yeah, I could see that being a thing. I mean, the good news is any setting that includes magic also has the potential for magic items oh yeah i mean however you do it i mean like Shadowrun is a modern setting that has magic and they've got entire rules for crafting stuff in there they've got different um materials and reagents that you can use in order to facilitate that i like systems that have good crafting systems within their rules and that's one way that you can help reinforce the uh the, some some people will play characters that want to make their own gear yeah. That's part of their character's fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, when I played a dwarf, uh, a lot of the time if you play a dwarf or an artificer, you like the idea of that you're, you're, you're crafting your own kit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I like the idea that you have the schematics, whether you develop them yourself or stumble upon them. And then in your downtime, it gives you something focused to do as a downtime activity. See, and I think that is one of the unfortunate things about most of the settings that we've played is that they've had kind of lackluster crafting systems. It's usually an afterthought. Yeah, right? I it's, mean, it's not you don't make a tabletop role playing game most of the time because <laughs> of crafting. Yeah. It's you've included a cool setting oh, what if someone wants to craft? Well, like, previous editions of Shadowrun have had, like, like gun crafting rules, like gunsmithing stuff, but yeah. it was always, like you said, it always felt like an afterthought. 
Um, it's the type of thing that you read, oh, gun crafting, you know, Escape from Tarkov is a super popular FPS right now, and all the guns in that game are super customizable mm -hmm. components to put on the rails, the different types of scopes and mags and stocks that you can uh, switch out and change. And so someone playing in a setting where there are guns might see, oh, gun crafting, and they get really excited thinking there's going to be some deep customization rules, but, and then you get there and it's... Yeah, okay. Well, and see, and that's, that's I, again, to, to back to the games that, that I've got a lot of experience with. You know, in the, the Law Dogs book for Deadlands, they included also gun gun customization in there. And, <coughs> excuse me, um, Law Dogs was, I believe, technically a first edition book. Yeah. So with, with like, the revised edition of Deadlands, they kind of just threw all that out, unfortunately. Yeah. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong, the crafting system itself, it, it was one of those that... It made a lot of sense in the real world way that it worked, the hair triggers and stuff like that. But it didn't translate as well mechanically, yeah. I didn't think. And then with the revised edition, they're like, yeah, we don't need any of this anyway, so it doesn't matter. I will say one, or, uh, before we end, I will, wait, I will say one specific example that comes to mind, Stars Without Number, does a really good job uh, if you have engineering to a certain level, you can maintain mods on pieces of gear okay. within the party, like a plus one here uh, or a, um, a resistance bonus here. And then based on your skill, you can do X number of mods maintained and okay. you have to spend time making sure that you maintain them because mm -hmm. it's custom equipment. Uh, and then also as far as, this is advice, as far as putting magic items into the hands of your players. You can find them uh, on, you can have them craft them, you can have them be found in, uh, like on the lieutenants, looting them from the bodies. But at the end of the day, there's always uh, armory vaults and dragon's hordes. Yeah, right? Drag dragons have all the good stuff. Yeah, just if you take a type of monster or an enemy that is, they've already done the collecting for you and put that enemy in front of your players, and then you have an excuse to give whatever you want well, to your and, players. And the nice thing about those kind of hordes is you can always excuse there being a new toy for everybody in the party all at once. Right. Oh, yeah. You, you don't need... Oh, I just happen to have this cool uh -huh. thing that only monks can use. Yeah. If, if right? you, you know, if, you, if you're pulling it off the corpse of one of the one of the prime enemies in the campaign, it's really hard to justify that guy carrying something specifically for each party member, whereas right. in a dragon horde, oh, you guys search through and you give me some perception rolls and, oh, hey, your monk finds the hand wraps of... The, know, the, the hand wraps of mighty blows. Yeah, the, the hand wraps of ass beating, and you know, <laughs> like your 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 fighter finds a cool new sword or an axe or a shield or something like that, and your caster finds some staff or some wand or some some cool thing that does that. Just to build a verisimilitude, I'm gonna throw that buzzword around. You can include items that the party can't use. Yeah. Just to be the believability. Well, there's this thing here. It's magic, but none of us really give a crap to use it. And they might sell it for money. They might sell it for money to buy, if there's the possibility to purchase, to buy more magic items. You can always, <laughs> depending on your setting, just sell them. Or you can do what Aram does and hoard everything in the, the guild vault. It's a great money sink. Anyway, I think that uh, we're running out of time, it seems. They're about to close up the Game Master Speakeasy, so I want to give a thanks to everyone who stopped by to hang out with us today. Uh, my name has been Cody. And my name is still Lance. It's still Lance, and I, I hope that you, if you ever change it, it, you upgrade to something more badass and don't downgrade, because <laughs> your name is a weapon. Uh, anyway... Uh, I want to state that if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach us specifically. Lance and I will read the emails at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. And uh, other than that, 
uh, stop by next time that we're open and get home safe. See ya. Want to hear more from the record button? You can find us wherever you find podcasts, like Transistor, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. To stay up to date on our releases, find us on Facebook at the Record Button Production Group and on Twitter at TRBPRODGRP. Or stop by our website at recordbuttongroup.com, where we have links to our merch and other shows such as Wasteland Active Radio and Why Did I Write This? Thank you for listening. Thank you.